back this is richard Sachs on lost arts radio and uh we're here again honored to have as our two guests for number three installment in this little series james roguski and dr rima labo and on our our last two videos that have gone out on facebook and a whole bunch of other platforms other than the obvious one uh we have views in the thousands and they need to be in the millions for the importance of the subject that we're talking about so hopefully you can do something to take care of that and i hope you appreciate the information that you're getting from these two great researchers working on the who situation and particularly the inter international health regulation amendments that threaten to take away the sovereignty and freedom of countries and humans all over the planet and we're going to get into some more specifics in this third installment today that you need to share everywhere. So let's get right to it. We don't have a lot of time. And welcome Dr. Labo and James, and we'll see what we can get into. Let's and for the people that haven't seen the the parts that preceded what we're doing today, let's do a couple of minutes just to bring people up to speed because this is not, you know, specifically for the people that already know what's happening. This is especially for them, but also the people that have no idea what we're talking about or why it's important. So let's do a couple minutes of recap and then we'll get into what we wanted to do today. James, do you want to start with a um, a broad stroke about what the international health regulations are and what they're not? Well, the yeah. international health regulations, in my opinion, are inaccurately named. If you read them, you'll see that they're an existing um, body of international law it's legally binding on all 194 member nations, but it doesn't really talk about health. It talks about surveillance and reporting, monitoring, the uh, declaring of emergencies, and, and essentially control. Now, to be fair and complete about it, um, the current existing regulations only are put forth a couple of requirements on the various nations. We're obligated to monitor what's going on in our country. And if something out of the ordinary happens, if there is an increase in disease or an increase in death, we're supposed to report that as soon as possible to the WHO. And if it's deemed to be something that could spread to another nation, um, maybe that's a contagious disease. Maybe that's some kind of food uh, contamination, you know, it's getting shipped across borders or Maybe a train tips over in Ohio and somebody sets it afire and the smoke is headed towards Canada. Um, maybe those things would be considered what they call public health emergencies of international concern. And so 
the use of the word pandemic, in my view, is inaccurate because that's not in the international health regulations anywhere. Uh, they call it a public health emergency of international concern, P-H-E-I-C, or fake. And so last May, unbeknownst to almost everybody, these regulations were amended. There were amendments to five articles that were adopted, and they're still going through an 18-month period where every nation has the opportunity to reject those changes. But everybody's in a daze, and nobody's paying attention to it. And in that same period of time, 94 nations have submitted 307 additional proposed amendments that are currently being negotiated primarily in secret. They had a week-long set of meetings, February 20th to the 24th. They had 10 sessions. Four of them were made public and, and were recorded, and you can watch them. But six of them were secret. They have drafting sessions that are happening now, but they're not even on the schedule. And they're having their next meeting, the working group for the amendments to the international health regulations, uh, April 17th to the 20th. And it's unknown, you know, whether they will reveal any of what goes on there to the public. There has been no public comment period through the WHO, no public comment period through the Health and Human Services Department in the United States or anywhere else for that matter. And so delegates who are unelected, unaccountable, and unknown are deciding the fate of the world. And um, I'm just trying to get everybody to pay attention to it. And I would like to make a couple of um, structural um, additions to the conversation. First of all, uh, it's really important to understand that the World Health Organization is a body that basically services an area of interest of the United Nations. There are a whole bunch of similar organizations. The Food and Agriculture Organization, FAO is one, UNESCO is one. Uh, there are many of these um, organizations that have their own secretariats and their own budgets and their own activity, but they all cluster under the agenda of the United Nations. That's an important word. The agenda of the United Nations includes and is very much focused on what used to be called Agenda 20 and is now called Agenda 2030. Uh, it is a plan for total domination in every single sector of life. It dominates food. It dominates surveillance. It dominates education. It dominates travel. It dominates um, uh Breeding, it dominates everything, health and so on. And Agenda 2030 requires massive control, massive depopulation. That is an explicit goal. That's not a conspiracy theory. It's a conspiracy by the people who are bringing you Agenda 2030. And it requires incredibly tight control the social credit score kind of thing of the CCP, but much, much wider. And if you're interested in just what that looks like, you can read the document that or the declaration that uh, all the leaders of the G20 nations signed on November 
21st of 2022, saying we're going to push through these proposed amendments to the international health regulations, and we're going to control everything through that. Now, that includes the economy, that includes your health choices, that includes your nation's laws, which will have to be changed in order to meet the obligations because the World Health Organization, very much misnamed in my in the same way that the international surveillance um, regulations, as James has noticed that they are not health regulations, should be called what they are, the international surveillance and control regulations. The World Health Organization is really the World Holocaust Organization committed to depopulation and making you part of the Internet of Bodies when you are under its total control. Well, in order to do that, the World Holocaust Organization needs to become a controlling body. And these proposed amendments change the WHO from a corrupt, inefficient, wrong-headed, highly controlled, uh, uh, special interest controlled advisory body to the same kind of corrupt, controlled body, but now it's a control body. Words like shall and must and are obliged to are being inserted into these international health regulations, which are binding on every member state. So if your country's not a member state, that's, that's your way out, which are binding on every member state and which must be adhered to when the director general, you might call him the dictator general, makes a determination. And there is no check or balance or alternative power system. So we're talking about a controlling body, WHO, with a dictator who gets to make decisions about every facet of society without any question or or, um, uh, check or balance. And if we allow that to happen, no congressional response, no parliamentary ratification is necessary because we're already part of the IHR. And we are, in essence, saying, enslave me. That's the situation as I see it. And I'd just like to have a little fun with words, because as you were talking, something came to mind. Um, When you watch the mainstream media, you get propaganda that's designed to prop up their agenda. So (laughs) next time you hear the word propaganda, just realize that it's designed to prop up Agenda 2030. And so everything that we're talking about, the documents are readily available. You can go to stopthewho.com. And, you know, this is not theory. This is just reading the documents that they have published, you know, going back forever. But most recently in in February and March uh, to let you know what the amendments are that are being negotiated and um, the timeline under which they're doing it. We're we're just reporting um, that which the mainstream media um, is ignoring 
And unfortunately, the alternative media is kind of sort of mangling. They're, they're getting, some of them are getting a little bit better, but, uh, you know, I got another um, thing today. I, I published an article about two months ago now where the photograph attached to it was a wooden duck decoy. And the title of the article was Don't Fall for the Decoy. And so what's happening out there is people are being confused because there's two very separate things. There are the amendments to the existing international health regulations. There's 307 of them. And very importantly, I can't stress this enough because I've, I've realized that people just simply do not have an open place in their mind for what I'm about to say. It, it, there's a cognitive dissonance that's about to hit you. And I, I trust that people can work through it. There is no presidential signature needed. There is no advice and consent of the Senate required or asked for or even optional. When amendments to the international health regulations are adopted by 194 delegates who are unelected, unaccountable, and, and unknown, when they get in a room in Geneva in May, any May, they make a decision. And if they adopt changes to international law, that's all that's needed. And so that hurts people's heads. They can't, they can't accept that. They, they want to say, that's not right. And I agree with you. That's it's not, not right, right. But, but it's that's true. what it is. What's let me, right? oh, let me make one point, if I may, uh, amplifying what you're saying, James. These unelected, unaccountable, unknown delegates, when a, when a, uh, an amendment is, uh, proposed and adopted by the wildly um, uh, skewed process of those meetings. Um, that's another story. These are, these are not free and open debate societies, I can assure you. Uh, when, the, uh, when an amendment is adopted and the majority vote, a simple majority of the 194 uh, delegates, head delegates, approves it, then it's adopted. At that point, the delegates need to sign the document that lists all the adopted amendments, and that puts it into law in your country. If the When that vote has been taken or that consensus has been allegedly achieved and your delegate participates in that, your country is now legally bound, whether you have a president or a king or a dictator for life or a prime minister, doesn't matter because this is an end run around national sovereignty as much as it is an end run around personal sovereignty and autonomy. And that is the point that everybody, not everybody, a great many people, including people on our side, are looking at the treaty and saying, oh, well, we have to have congressional ratification or parliamentary ratification before that can happen. And as James said, it is a decoy. Look over there. The action is over here. Nothing to see here. It's all over there. It's deceit. What these people are who want to exterminate us and enslave the, the remnant left are lying to us? No. Who would have imagined that? Right. <clears throat> so when James, when James said it seemed like something wasn't right, 
what wasn't right was joining any organization in any treaty that it has the ability to supersede national sovereignty and national law. And I doubt now, that that's actually legal. It's certainly not moral. And, well, and the ratification that had to happen was to join WHO in the first place, right? Well, I'll, I'll weigh in on that a little bit, but go ahead, Rima. I was going to say what you're going to say. Um, I, I was going to talk about the joint resolution that President Harry Truman signed that got us into the WHO in 1948. And it very specifically dealt with that issue. And now, James, I know, is just about to say that. And so there is a section in that um, resolution that does say, and I actually had a conversation with somebody about this this morning. It does say that nothing in the WHO Constitution or anything that the WHO does is binding on the United States. We don't have to change any laws. But subsequent to our entry and subsequent to that joint resolution and Truman signing it, at the very least, in 2005, all anybody has to do is go and read page 61 of the International Health Regulations, where there's a reservation um, from the United States mission to Geneva, where they said, we accept these amendments from 2005. They signed it in 2007. They accepted the amendments to the international health regulations. And essentially that creates a new agreement. You can call it an addendum. You can call it a totally separate sole um, executive agreement that the world views as binding. Now, when you get into United States um, treaty history, not everything that goes through the process of becoming an agreement goes through the process that we all think about of being a treaty. And so we're party to the international health regulations for decades. And part of the agreement that is the IHR is the agreement on the method by which they should be and can be amended. Now, if there was to be any amendment that should be suggested to the international health regulations, we should amend the way in which they are amended. And it should require that any and all amendments have to go back and meet the highest level of agreement from the nations that are part of the WHO. But that's not what it says. That's what it should say, I would argue. But that's not what it says. All that's needed for them to adopt amendments is for them to agree with a simple majority and for currently 18 months to pass where nobody pays attention and nobody objects. Article 61 says any nation, their leader can just write a letter to the WHO, kind of like a Dear John letter, right? You know, thank you very much for all these wonderful amendments, but no thank you. Okay, so Biden's not going to do that because what the amendments are that happened last year, very small little package of things. He didn't get all that he wanted at all. They only got a couple of little things. They wanted to shorten the time period that would limit the ability to object to amendments from the 18 months that it currently is down to six months. It got negotiated to 10. And so in November of this year, the deadline of 18 months after last May will end and those amendments will just naturally go into force because nobody bothered to object 
because nobody knew that they had the right to object. And the leadership, if you want to call it that, Biden and Secretary of State Blinken, they were the ones pushing for it. So they're not going to object and they don't want us talking about it. They certainly don't want us talking about it, but you now know that there's something that you need to object to. And so your next question is, well, how do I do that? What can I do? Aha, we have something that you can do. If you go to preventgenocide2030.org, preventgenocide2030.org, there is a great deal of information there among the things that you will find there is a link to James's Substack, jamesroguski.substack.com, a mine of information and correct information, by the way, which is hard to come by on this topic. We'll talk about that perhaps in a little bit. So you can also find the action items. And There's a big blue button. Can't big miss. Big blue button. Hard to miss. And it says, take action here. It may even say, take action here now. And there are Canadian actions, there are U.S. actions, there's U.K. action. And what you need to do is fill in your name, the required information, click send now. And what you do is you will send letters, email letters, expressing your demand to prevent the adoption of or block the adoption of the international health regulations or to prevent the uh, the health surveillance, digital ID imprisonment that they very much have in mind for us and to get the WHO, get the United States or Canada or whatever country you're you're clicking on out of WHO and so on. There are quite a number of actions and they're all very carefully constructed on reality rather than on the misinformation that is being brooded about, chief of which is that we only have to worry about the treaty. No, we don't even have to think about the treaty because everything that the treaty wants to accomplish will be a done deal if these amendments, which knock out concepts like human rights and dignity from the entire IHRWHO structure, by the way, if these, if these proposed amendments and the already prior adopted amendments are um, uh, codified and not, not defeated, then Treaties are relevant. It's just window dressing. They've already gotten what they want, which is total and absolute control of every aspect of society, including manufacture, including your personal health, including uh, uh, currency manipulation, social control. It's, it's a total, complete, brilliantly evil package. And I you can either to. do nothing or you can defeat it. Yeah, <clears throat> the action items are critical <clears throat> and they've been proven. This approach has been proven to stop governments in their tracks before and it can be done Correct. again. I wanted to make one <clears throat> comment to insert on what James had said. Uh, James, you mentioned that the amendments could be adopted by a simple majority, right? And that you would think that you would need some much higher standard to, I think you said that, right, in order to, for them to be adopted. And I'm saying that that's not 
really the main issue because any amendments that are inherently immoral and infringe on inalienable rights, they could have 100% support and they shouldn't ever be adopted no matter what. Any adoption of them under any standard is an assault against humanity. So tell me if you disagree. Oh, oh no, absolutely. I mean, obviously, absolutely agree. Um, the issue that I'm, I'm raising, and, and hopefully it's clear, but um, I'll, I'll do it again, because I, I really have recognized that the cognitive dissonance on this is extraordinarily strong, because it's just so wrong, but yet it is. Okay. And so it's, it's actually even worse than that because what they did last year, literally, they were meeting in large assembly hall and there was a little bit of a discussion going on. They were, they were negotiating the length of time that they were going to change, um, the ability to reject amendments. And, and so there was some savvy negotiating going on and, and there were some things that were won back. But in the course of all of that, they don't want that to be aired in public. You know, you take your dirty laundry and you do it in the back room. And so they literally said, okay, look, we're going to, we've reserved a room in the back of the Palace of Nations. We're going to shut down this public assembly. We're going to go have an informal meeting. And they talked for a couple of hours. They came back. They opened up the meeting again. And it was very uncomfortable. It was, it was quite frankly, a bizarro scene. And they essentially said, okay, well, here's the document that we're talking about. Um, Does anybody object? All right, nobody objected. It has been adopted. And so they don't really even want to have a simple majority vote. They're very skilled at having meetings in quiet, in secret, in the back room somewhere. Deals are done. whatever, Whatever happens, happens so that there's consensus. And then when they come out into public... They don't even have to talk about it. They just go, boom, it's been adopted. And if you were watching and you weren't like paying attention, you hadn't read all the documents, you would have no idea what just happened. They didn't even understand what happened. They were confused. It was quite comical, actually, if it wasn't so you know, treacherous to our, our, our own you know, lives. Um, so they don't even really want it to come down to like a roll call vote. I'm sure you've seen things in Parliament or in uh, – Congress, you know, all in favor say aye. You know, everybody says aye. All in favor say nay, and it's louder. And they go, oh, okay, the ayes have it. And you're like, wait a minute, what the heck just happened? Okay, they they make happen what they want to happen, if you know, if at all remotely possible. I I want to underscore this. Um, if there's any residual hope that this is a level playing field, <laughs> and these are genuinely informed and uh, empowered representatives of national interest who come together to have a free and open debate and um, actually hammer out solutions that help people, um, you need your meds adjusted <laughs> because that is not what it is. This is a sham um, process that is designed to bring forward what the people who control the process want and nothing else is permitted to happen. What they want is what it's incumbent upon us to understand because stopping them means stopping the success of their agenda. Back to agenda. So what's in Agenda 2030? Well, you have to know what's in Agenda 
20 in order to understand Agenda 2030, which is Agenda 20 on steroids. I think you mean 21. 20, yeah. Agenda 21, sorry. Okay. Uh, what, what is there is the absolute and total destruction of every single structure within society. That includes the family. That includes any personal property ownership, whether it's house or car or dog or uh, apartment or uh, uh, farm. It includes the absolute control of all travel, of all uh, uh, choices in your life. And of all options for living that life, including the option of whether you're going to be alive or not, including the option of what happens to your DNA. It's that comprehensive. It's that um, cataclysmic to everything you think is inalienable. It is, in essence, the opposition of total dictatorial dominance versus inalienable rights. You could call it a an Armageddon of rights. Either you have rights or you have no rights. And we're not talking about just a few rights. Oh, Dr. Rima is exaggerating. No, I'm not. Uh, as it happens, I wrote a book about Agenda 21 because I was so horrified by what it actually is as opposed to what it says it is. It says it's a plan for blissful future. What it is, is a plan for absolute enslavement, including genetic enslavement. I think that that's the first piece of cognitive dissonance that people have to wrap their minds around in order to understand why this is worth fighting tooth and nail and not losing the battle for. It's the battle literally for the future of humanity. Rima, if I may ask you, um, you wrote that book last month or last year or last Several decade? Several years ago. Or Several years last ago. Last millennium, because I think, you know, the clues have, you know, go back almost as, well, actually, really, literally, you know, lo- longer than any of us are alive. Um, you know, the planning, the planning and the proposals have been around for a very, very long time. But what is unique about this situation is the WHO has a constitution. They're, they're involved in legally binding agreements. And you could see that these proposed amendments could co-op the international health regulations and could be seen as the founding documents of a world medical martial law dictatorship. Exactly. And it's the, the difference with all of the things that have come before, or at least most of them, is they're not working on already agreed upon legal um, documents. This is the enactment. This is the rubber hitting the road, enacting the plans and dreams and proposals where it's, it's not even conspiracy anymore. It's actuality. This is where they're attempting to actualize decades, if not centuries of planning. Uh, that's a, such an important point. Back before the turn of the 20th century, 
there was a group of intellectuals and social change agents who were known as the Fabian Socialists, primarily in Great Britain, but there were some in the United States as well and other places uh, also in Europe. Um, and it was, it was quite a progressive, um, notion. And the notion was that the general ordinary class of people really was uh, incapable of ruling themselves and they needed um, wiser, stronger, more empowered rulers who could decide which of them were extraneous and which of them were not extraneous and then could set up the living conditions for what you might call the lumpen proletariat, who would be tightly controlled because, after all, they couldn't rule themselves. Um, they weren't capable of that. And some of them were to be eliminated wholesale by virtue of membership in particular groups. For example, Margaret Sanger, who created Planned Parenthood and who was, before I understood what we now know commonly, one of my great heroes, <laughs> Margaret Sanger did what she did in order to eliminate the Negro race, quote, unquote. That was her goal. Her planned parenthood was to make it impossible to be alive on this planet if you were a member of the Negro race. And that was just one of the obje objectives of the Fabian Socialists. Now, one of the Fabian Socialists was Algis Huxley. And he wrote a book called Brave New World, which was written in 1921 and published in 1922 as a blueprint, not as a cautionary tale. George Orwell wrote a book, which I'm sure you at least have heard of and possibly have read, called 1984 which was written as a blueprint, not as a cautionary tale. And on his deathbed, George Orwell, a Fabian socialist who thought it was a great idea for there to be a controlling upper class and a controlled underclass, George Orwell said that the future of humanity was a boot on its face forever. It's what we're looking at, a boot on our face forever. The difference, however, is not James, uh, I take exception to what you say, uh, respectfully and lovingly. The difference is not the legal formats that have been put in place and, uh, uh, and act as the um, foundational documents for medical uh, military dictatorship. The difference is they've always wanted that and they've had a lot of preambles to that. The difference is they have the technology to do it now. And that's why they've sprung into actual action at this point. They have the genetic weapons. They have the uh, uh, communication control. They have the economic control. They have the capacity to use nanotechnology and to use uh, pulsed microwave technology in novel ways. They have the genetic manipulation capacity and the cloning capacity that they've only dreamed of. So the technology that has now come together, because they've been working on it, they've been funding it, and they've made it happen, the technology package, in my view, is the 
the enabling reality that allows them to move forward with the legal maneuvering and the the uh, amendments and treaties and organizations and all that stuff, which is designed to serve the technologically based and mediated new world order, as it it uh, used to be called, and now the the global medical martial dictatorship known as the Great Reset or the Internet of Bodies or, um, uh, you know, call Agenda 2030. It's all the same thing. But until they had the technology, they could not move forward. Now they have it. And we're living in their, their dream, our nightmare. This is actually what the, uh, <clears throat> the founders of America, the U.S. government, were worried about in creating the national government, because they said, whenever you create positions of power, the problem is monsters are the ones that usually try to get them, get into those positions. And then they use their position to enslave and kill people. And the reason they did it anyway was they thought there there needs to be a very restricted national government or government on any level, including these uh, multinational organizations whose only purpose, only legitimate purpose, no matter what format they use, is to protect unalienable rights and the geography of their own sovereign country, and that's it. And anytime they go beyond that, the citizens have a right and a duty to replace them with something that is back in that restricted role. The only way that can ever work Aside, you know, from the fact that it has to be fought now, ultimately there have to be people of consciousness and morality and ethics in those positions or there's a disaster. And we're watching the uh, fulfillment of what they were worried about happen in many ways right now, this being one of the big ones. I think this is the biggest one. I know of none more, uh, more important or more impactful, or more cataclysmic if we were not to prevail. So we have no choice but to prevail. They're all excited about using health as a justification for whatever crimes they want to commit, because everybody worships the healthcare system, or they they hope that they will. Well, certainly not everybody. But um, um, I'd like to throw in a a slightly different twist to this. I've seen um, charts and graphs from time to time that over the 200 plus years of the United States, you know, we've been at war like, you know, 95% of the time. There's been a couple of years maybe where they forgot to start a war and and we had a moment of peace. I think if you go all the way back, you know, in history, you know, maybe we're coming, you know, our lives have been lived in a very unusual period where the form of slavery under which we've lived was almost invisible. But I think if you just go back and go back and go back and go back, the whole concept of the master-slave relationship has seemingly always been there. And it appears to be coming back with a vengeance now, but still people don't see how they're trying to enslave us. And so primarily coming out of the European Union, where a lot of this digital technology is actually already in place. I know I've spoken with people People in Sweden, you know, they already have a digital ID. You've got to scan your QR code, you know, live your life. Um, They are the ones who have proposed the main uh, portions 
of the the digital um, global health certificate system. They want to expand what little tiny bit there is in the international health regulations. Um, there's still, you know, from years gone by, um, a form in Annex 6 of the IHR for people who travel to certain locations, they need a yellow fever vaccination. They want to take that area of the international health regulations, digitize it, and then expand it to include not just vaccine certificates, but testing certificates, prophylaxis certificates, and recovery certificates, none of which are defined. So if you think about that, you know, the testing that they call these things tests, but they're totally inaccurate. It's just totally a scam to use the PCR method um, process and call it a test. It's just ridiculous. Um, a prophylaxis, you know, what could they demand that you do as prevention? And then a recovery certificate, which, you know, maybe antibodies or something like that, but none of that really has any any hope of being accurate and real, let alone what they call vaccines don't do what vaccines are thought to do anymore at all. They want to tie that together. They never did. They want to tie that together with a um, traveler locator form. And I'm sorry, a passenger locator form and a traveler health um, declaration so that they can track and trace you wherever you may go, tie it all to a personal QR code so that every aspect of your life potentially could be controlled by some bureaucrat somewhere who says, well, you know, we want you to do this, that, and the other thing to your body. It is a vicious attack on, you know, bodily autonomy, um, the right that I call um, not the uh, right of informed consent, but the right of informed dissent. Because if you do inform yourself, you're highly unlikely to consent. You should be much more likely to dissent from whatever they may want you to do. And, you know, in in the United States, it's an attack on states' rights, but it's really an attack on freedom. And it's just a re-imposition in a slightly more obvious, more powerful digital way where people will give up a little bit of their freedom for a little bit of convenience and walk themselves right back into slavery. Yeah, that's what I, I think we're, we're seeing. And it's, it's right there. But still, I, people, I, you mentioned, you mentioned about the PCR procedure being used as a, as a test. It's really an important point. It, something like that was involved in the AIDS scam as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. <clears throat> right. And the point is that even if it were accurate, the ability to take away unalienable rights is not there. And even if the recovery certificate that you mentioned, if they had, whether it was antibody or some other way of seeing whether you had recovered from some fake disease or even a real disease, it doesn't matter if it's accurate at all, because the point is it's not up to them. It's your unalienable right to decide what you want to do. They can make recommendations, you know, that we think you should take these 50 antibiotics to prevent everything and have all your organs removed so they can't, you know, have a problem in the future. But you don't have to do it. And you don't have to hide in your bathroom or close your business. And it's a basic, I, you know, conflict between what does government have the right to do, whether it's called your own government or some international body, it doesn't matter. None of them have a right to force any of this stuff, no matter how accurate. No, I visited China 
in 2019, back when people could actually mm-hmm. travel to other countries. Imagine yeah. that. It, those, it, it, when I was a girl, um, I visited China in 2019. And at that time, there were a hundred million people in China. That's one third of the population of the United States. There were a hundred million people in China who, because of their low social credit scores, were not permitted to get on a bus, were not permitted to get on an airplane, were not permitted to get on a train, were not permitted to go further than they could walk or bicycle. And uh, very few people had um, uh, the kind of personal transportation that we have. That was back in 2019. Now, the number of people who are not permitted on modes of transportation in China is not publicly available. It's a state secret. They have not kept their credit score high enough, and their credit score is what they put on social media, what they think, what they purchase, what they um, uh, do And what they do not do, every aspect of their life is rated in their credit score, how much money they have in the bank, how much money they take out of the bank. That's where we're headed. And I'm not, uh, I'm not in the camp of people who are currently saying this is all a CCP issue. No, this is a global dictatorship designed to depopulate and enslave those who are allowed to remain. And the CCP has this role or that role or a subsidiary role. I don't know. That's not the issue. It's really another decoy. The issue is that we are facing a technologically invasive, oppressive, and comprehensive dictatorship and destruction system. Nothing that we hold dear is to be preserved in their system. Do you want to get into, in the time we have remaining, uh, specific misunderstandings that some of our allies have, as you were talking about before? Do you think that needs to be addressed? I do. I'll dive, I I'll do. dive into a couple of them. Um, okay. Number one, uh, you know, there were rumors that circled around, oh, don't worry about the amendments, just worry about the treaty. And, you know, two months ago, I tried to make it very clear um, don't fall for the decoy. The treaty is a real thing, okay? But the first 12 pages of it are just sickeningly sweet propaganda. There's a couple of table of contents pages and a cover page, but then on the top of page three, it says in you know bold you know letters right there, national sovereignty is of great importance, okay? And so a lot of the things that are in the treaty are the types of things that, while I disagree with the content, the, the gist of it is nations cooperating with other nations. It's outside our border. We agree to share this with you. We agree to do that with you. Other things in there are horrific and bad, but it seems like they've taken most of the things that you know nations agree to with other nations, put it in the treaty, all of the really stark violations of personal freedoms, not all, I'll take that back, most 
of those are in the amendments. So look at the treaty, look at the treaty, look at the treaty. If someone does get some information from the amendments, but they say it's in the treaty, then the fact checkers go, oh, you're, you're spreading fake news because technically it's incorrect. And, and so, you know, all I ask of people is before you're going to talk about what is what, um, it'd be really good if you read it. <laughs> okay. It's a 32 page document. The first 12 pages are sickeningly sweet propaganda. You'll be, this, this looks pretty good. I kind of like this. Then you read the remainder. And there's one section in Article 35, Rima, I think we've only talked about it a little bit, where it's, it's really subtle. And, you know, I'm looking at it going, am I really reading what I'm reading? It says in Section 3 of Article 35 of the treaty that whatever gets agreed to in the treaty, like say only some nations agree to it, right, um, will be treated as recommendations for the entire World Health Organization. And you just go, well, wait a minute. If the, if the amendments to the regulations change the definition of a recommendation, then mm-hmm. the whole treaty is a recommendation. Wait a minute. Okay. And, 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 and you so, have to specify what they changed the nature of a recommendation to. Which is an ob- obligation that must be complied with as soon as possible. And so there's a lot of really not good things at all in the treaty, but they actually fit the characteristic of things, mostly of what belongs in the treaty. Nations can agree to deal with other nations however they want. That does come under the you know guise of the federal government. And it's just a decoy to get you to not pay attention to the global digital health certificates and all of the control mechanisms that are in the proposed amendments that don't need a presidential signature, don't need the approval or advice and consent of the Senate. 194 people can get together and go, oh, yeah, let's just take this and agree to that nice and quietly. And boom, it's done. And, and so the deception is skillfully crafted. And, and the mental manipulation of, oh, well, you know, you don't want us to lock down the whole world. So, you know, you could just get a shot or have somebody stick something up your nose. And as long as you, you know, do those things that we ask you, you can move around. I, I have to tell you, it's not a prophylaxis certificate. It's not a um, vaccine certificate. It's not a testing certificate. It's not a recovery certificate. Those are all variations of compliance certificates. Oh, this person has complied. So we'll let them have a little bit of life because they're not going to give us any trouble. That's really what it is. You volunteer to be a slave and you get a little bit of freedom. Or you don't. You are, you think you will get a little bit of freedom, but understand that in a totalitarian state, by intention, you are always violating some rule (laughs) or law or regulation. And therefore, through selective enforcement, you can always be punished or exterminated or reduced or remanded or in some way further controlled. So, you know, we ordinary people, we think if we follow the rules, we'll just be fine. We don't choplift and we don't uh, um, uh, 
hurt other people and, and we carry out our, our lives in a nice and, and ethical way and everything will be just hunky-dory. Well, that's not what they have in mind. I want to make another dissident point, if I may, because what you're talking about, James, is um, uh, a a decoy and deception that needs to be understood and decoded. And I think there's another one that everybody on our side and everybody on the other side is using and it's incorrect. And that is pandemic. Hmm. We haven't had a pandemic. We had a needle-demic. The deaths, the excess deaths are from the iatrogenic injected destructive materials that were put into us and that we contaminated each other with. We haven't had a, um, a contagious disease that has caused excess deaths. What we've had is a propagandemic. We've had a case-demic because of the totally fraudulent, quote, testing, end quote, testing methods and the um, lies about the data and the failure of the pharmacovigilance and uh, initial testing as it should have been carried out because it was a an exempt procedure carried out by the Department of Defense, not by the pharmaceutical industries and the Fraud and Death Administration. Um, the, all of these things are are spilling out. This is all available information, and it's your job to sort through and make sense of it. And we try to help you, but you come to your own conclusions. There ain't no prop. There ain't no pandemic. Modern societies with modern hygiene and sanitation and nutrition don't have pandemics. They have propagandemics, which are the excuse for the destruction of your body and your social rights if you allow that to happen. Let me be very clear. Every time somebody on our side talks about the pandemic, they're absolutely in error. There was no pandemic. There is no pandemic. Every time somebody on the other side talks about the pandemic, they're absolutely in error. It's a construct that we've been given that we're supposed to swallow hook, line, and sinker to be afraid, be very afraid, be compliant, be very impliant. But what if they gave a pandemic and nobody died (laughs) until they started curing it? That would be us now, our situation. And let's be very clear about that. There was no pandemic. There is no pandemic. The pandemic is the control mechanism designed to enslave us. And we need to articulate that. We need to not be afraid to say that to our normie buddies. We need to not be afraid to say that to each other and to correct each other. Wait, you're using the word pandemic as if it were real. Was it? Oh, it wasn't. Well, then let's not talk about it that way. In the same way that I say, what elite? What elite? These are despicable Gregs of humanity who happen to be rich and highly empowered, but they're not elite. They're spittable on. You know, let's be clear about who we are, what we are, and who they are. 
one other related uh, misunderstanding and miss uh miss uh I guess, you know, putting things in the wrong words is that a lot of the alternative doctors who understand the death was caused by the injections, not by any pandemic, often say that, well, the re- what's wrong with these injections is they're not real vaccines. And, you know, if it would have been a real vaccine, we'd all be saved like we were from polio. But, and, and they really, many say that. I know. I mean, some of the best known global uh, physicians do. And I think they actually don't know because in medical school, they were taught vaccines. And then what do you say? Safe and effective, right? And it saved the world from polio and it saved the world from smallpox and everything else. And most of us are here only because of vaccines, you know, peace be upon them or whatever you say about vaccines. And um, it's complete nonsense at the top. So, but even if it were a pandemic and everybody was dying and there was a real pandemic and the 90% death rate, they still can't violate inalienable rights, right? They can tell you what they think you should do, but there's a realization that they could be wrong or malevolent. And therefore, it's not safe to let them violate any rights like that. To, to agree with both of you, um, in the latest zero draft of the treaty, um, I think much to their shame and should be embarrassment, they have proposed a definition for the word pandemic. And it is so outlandishly vague. You know, you would think, oh, you know, there's some statistical um, reasoning where you go, oh, yeah, that was bad, but it wasn't a pandemic, right? That was, you know, a problem but it never got to a certain level. It is so unbelievably vague. They could call it whatever they wanted to call it. And so that manipulation of the language, when I heard people say things like, well, you know, there are all of these cases of some disease. I go, well, you know, what's the legal definition of the word case? There is no such thing. Well, you know, so we're having a pandemic. Eh, There's no legal definition of the word pandemic. They do use it for influenza, but even that has really, you know, such vague categories. It's ridiculous. So, you know, we have these vaccines. Well, no, you don't, because you changed the definition back in September of 2021, and they're safe and effective. Well, I got news for people with those two words. What's safe? Safe is a feeling. Okay. Um, if we all went up in an airplane and strapped a, a, a backpack on and somebody told me there was a parachute in there, somebody might feel safe jumping out of that airplane, but somebody might not. Okay. Same situation. You, you could be riding a motorcycle down a highway. Some people think it's totally safe. They don't wear any protective equipment. Other people scare the daylights out of them. Safe is relative. And even if it could be categorized numerically, Um, Show me where the statistics are. And my favorite one is effective because effective can be negative. Something can be very, very, very effective, but in a bad way. And so what happened is they cooked the books. They they totally controlled the experiment that they were doing, if you want to even call it that. And and they, they changed the definition of what being vaccinated meant. And so people who got one shot, two shots, and then waited 14 days, if anything bad happened to them in that six-week period, 
all of those statistics were counted as people who were unvaccinated because the definition of vaccinated was that you've got one shot, two shots, and you waited 14 days. So they took those numbers. Oh, it's 95% efficacious, which is what word they use in a controlled study. Then a couple of months later, it was 90% effective in 85 and 70. Then they stopped using the number. And they just said it was effective. And if you look at the statistics, it plummeted like a rock. And now for many categories of people who've been shot up multiple times, the effectiveness is like negative 50,000%. You're more likely to get the thing that they told you that the shot was supposed to protect you from. But they can honestly still say it's effective. It's just going in the wrong direction. So language matters, people. When you hear somebody say, we've got all these cases, there's a pandemic, so we got a vaccine that's safe and effective, my brain goes, lie number one, lie number two, lie number three, four, and five. Keep talking. I'll just keep counting. Stop lying. And, and that's what we're dealing with, is they're using words that are English, but it's a different English. It's global ease or legal ease or medical ease. And if you don't realize that, if they believe it, they don't think it's a lie, right? Well, and wait, wait. Let me let me it's jump a lie. in. It's a it's a blatant series of word games to mess with your head. It's a psychological operation, and most everybody is falling for it. And I see a hand. It, does, it doesn't <laughs> matter in any way whether they believe it or not. They can believe it because they've been propagandized or because it's in their best interest to believe it or because they're terrible scientists or because they didn't look at the data or because I don't care whether they believe it or not. They can be lying. I care about whether whether what they're saying is logical, rational, and true. So if they believe it, if they don't believe it, I really am totally uninterested. Now, if they were were taken in by false um, information and they genuinely believed it, but they had uh, a duty and a right to know what the real information was, they're culpable and should be punished. If they intentionally lied, they suppressed information, they are culpable and should be punished. So the issue of whether they believe it or whether they're just good actors or bad actors and you can see that they don't believe it, that's theater. I'm not interested in that. You know, in the Bible, it says, by their works shall you know them. By their works, not by their words, not by their deceit, not by the jargonization of language, which takes bad concepts, dangerous ideas, and puts pretty words on them and creates a pig with lipstick, which is why I called my book on my ebook um on the WHO WHO the singing pig because it's singing the song of the people who fund it who feed it that's not us and it's also all gussied up with all kinds of good words and great reports and terrific websites and meanwhile it's an evil destructive organization that has chosen to be an agent of dictatorship, destruction, and death. Yes, death. 
So I don't care what those people believe. I have to take exception with the people say, well, but, you know, they really, who cares? It's what they do, what they do with our money and intend to do with our lives and our rights that matters. Also, James, there's one question I wanted to bring up. You said that the focus needs to be on the regulations rather than on the treaty. And there's one possible case where that might change a little bit. In the case that we had a not a malevolent government in the U.S., which is just fantasy at this point, because the government in the U.S. is working really hard to destroy the country and the world. But um, and they're doing a good job. They're very effective. But if they were sane and if they had our best interests in mind and they rescinded the treaty, which Truman, you said, in 48 did some kind of an action that got us into WHO, right, with with a caveat that nothing in their constitution of the WHO could override U.S. law. First of all, that caveat was way too specific. It should have been anything that they could make us do, whether it's in the constitution or not that violated individual rights would be void. But understanding that now could withdraw from the treaty void the regulations, essentially, for that kind of... Well, you know, that's that's actually a very interesting question, and uh, I haven't gotten really a good and conclusive answer to it. But on on another level, on a bigger level, okay, um, stepping beyond the WHO and the IHR and the treaty and the UN and all that sort of stuff... Um, the part that I raised before, it really comes down to on an individual basis, okay, are you willing to give up your freedom for some convenience? Are you willing to say, yes, that organization can rule my life? Well, I'm not, uh, uh, that's, that's not part of my makeup. Nobody, as you have said many times, and I totally agree with you, emergency or not, there are rights that people have. And the right to privacy with your financial dealings is, you know, looks like they're trying to violate that with a central bank digital currency that can control and know every minute detail of whatever it is you do in your life. The, um, the desire on their part to invade your personal private, you know, um, dealings with your health you know, do we go to someone stranger in the street and say, do you have syphilis? Do you have gonorrhea? Do you have chlamydia? Do you have AIDS? Do you have HIV? Um, do you, are you taking a medication that is for some psychiatric, you know, ailment that could change how you think and might make you homicidal or suicidal? You know, we view that as private. Now, maybe some of it is important and, and you, you know, you do um, feel a concern and, and a need to understand what the heck is going on with every person you interact with, but we have no right to demand. They have no right to demand of us private financial information or private health information. And so the question is really very simple. Do you want to be a free man or woman on you know this planet exercising your birthrights that your creator gave to you when you decided to inhabit this body on this planet, or are you happily going to be a slave? It's really that simple. And so what I'm encouraging everybody to do is to speak your mind. Get out your camera, get out your phone, get out your computer, do whatever it is you want to do, 
learn as much as you care to learn about all of the topics that you care to talk about. If you don't personally say no, you are not permitted. You do not have my um, approval. I do not give you my consent or my permission. Your silence is viewed as consent. So what I would love to see is hundreds of millions of people flooding social media with whatever their opinion is. It may or may not be identical to mine. It probably won't be. But if you're silent, you're a slave. So Absolutely. Let me take that one step further. These videos, these social media communications, these communications to everyone who pays attention to you and your encouragement of them to become involved in this critically important issue is absolutely fundamental. However, there's another step that must be taken. There are gatekeepers. There are gatekeepers who have the ability to keep us in these organizations, specifically WHO and behind it, the UN, or remove us to create the, uh, the action necessary to write the Dear John letter, uh, <laughs> that can be written by the head of state saying, nope, we're out of here. We don't belong anymore and we're not paying any attention anymore. We're not party to the international health regulations, etc. It's that simple. And I've put a resource in the chat that I hope you'll share with this program called the Global Exit Strategy. This is a, um, a look at how a country leaves a treaty obligation such as the WHO or the international health regulations. And I've also put the Singing Pig uh, ebook there for people to understand just how corrupt and terrible this organization is. So if you don't, if you, if you take the actions that James is talking about, then you're part of an informed population. But I believe that it is utterly critical to pressure voluminously in huge numbers of us to pressure the gatekeepers, the politicians, to create the political will that makes it impossible for your country, in my case, the United States, to remain in the WHO, to remain party to the Agenda 2030 and the uh, international health regulations um strategies which are designed to kill and enslave us. And that won't happen unless millions and millions of people take actions. And that's why we created PreventGenocide2030.org, so that you have a vehicle to write a a streamlined, accurate, well-researched email to these people saying, no, get me out. You work for me, and this is what I want, along with millions of other people who are bombarding you, senator, congressman, governor, whatever the particular um, authorized person is in that particular situation. That's what the action items are for on Prevent Genocide 2030. James and I meet with a group of people from around the world six days a week uh, in the morning to coordinate our global efforts to create global political will to basically save humanity by getting out of these death stars that's, that are coming toward us. And 
that's what we're asking you. I'm asking you to do. James is saying, talk about it. I concur. But after you've talked about it, take action about it so that the politicians that work for you have no choice but to accede to your demand. What do you want to use for a wrap-up, James? We're about at the time that you needed to leave. Well, um, as I always do, um, everyone is more than welcome to call me directly at 310-619-3055, twice a day at noon and 7 p.m. Pacific, which translates to 3 and 10 p.m. Eastern. Um, I do a Zoom for people to um, ask questions. I invite everybody to participate in that. And um, to keep it simple, even though I have many, 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 many websites, um, just go to rejectglobalenslavement.com. Um, unless you want to be a slave, um, uh, you know, then go wherever you want to go because that's what's coming if you do nothing. So rejectglobalenslavement.com. You know what? My brain just malfunctioned. Um, rejectdigitalenslavement.com is what I meant to say. Um, and so, uh, you know, you can go to promote uh, genocide2030.org, but you probably should go to prevent genocide2030.org. And um, my name is James Roguski. You can go to James, R-O-G-U-S-K-I dot substack dot com. And that was uh, <clears throat> the correct one was reject digital enslavement dot com. Was That's it? correct. That is correct. Okay. Just okay, put it in the uh, chat. Yeah. It's up to yeah. you, folks. James is beating the drums. I'm spe- I'm beating the drums. Richard is beating the drums. There are a lot of people beating the drums. Right. And beating the drums is vitally important. But unless you bang on the politicians in massive numbers and say, get me out, get me out now, you will be well informed on the way to the gas chambers. Uh-huh. That's yeah. not the outcome that we want. Yeah, we're supposed to think that that only happened in World War II, and everybody else has been very nice in government. And uh, I think the the priority is to do this now. And you've proven, uh, Doctor Rima, that this works. Yes. This is not this is not hoping that an email will make a difference because one probably won't. One makes no difference. I don't mm. deal in hopium. Right. Yeah, I think that's really an important key element is that this is not just another hopeful thing that has no basis in reality. This was proven in 2009 and other times, too. And other times, too. When millions of people say, don't you dare to politicians, they don't dare because they're spineless, gutless, worthless puppets. And so when you become more audible than their masters, they do what you want. I think it's it's a a change for normal people to take the time to do something like this because they don't normally think about issues of enslaving anybody else. And no, all the don't. people who are really into that are the ones who have taken over. So this is you've made it about as easy as it can possibly be to exert the power that can stop the whole thing. And it's the only power that can exert it backed up by uh, by spiritual uh, intensity and intentionality. But right. the political power <clears throat> must be exerted on the physical level, not with pitchforks. Because right. as soon as we become violent, they will destroy us even quicker, but yeah. with political pressure. And yeah, it's easy. 
you made it super easy and pitchforks and firearms are important for the people to have a right to, but they're a terrible way to get things solved. You know, they usually result in replacing one tyranny with another. And what you've done is given a way to transcend the whole situation and get it changed. So people need to do it. I had a conversation yesterday with uh, a friend whom I haven't spoken to in a, a long time. And she said, oh, I saw a movie um, and uh, with a church group about Jesus Revolution or something. And she said it was so encouraging because everybody in the church group believes that we're going to have a revolution, but it's going to be a religious revolution. And I said, oh, my God, I hope not. Every religious revolution that I know has resulted in massive destruction of everybody involved. Terrible idea. We need a political determination, not a revolution because who gets who gets destroyed in a revolution it's the people we need to take control of the process and direct it toward our well-being yeah the founders of the america with with their uh, idealistic vision said it would only work if the people involved in those power positions were moral and educated and properly motivated not not slave drivers so some somebody has to take the time to run for office, run for school board, become the governor, become the president, you know, all these different positions that are valid. They need to ultimately be filled by people that aren't always trying to exterminate humanity. The, in the, uh, the head of NIH position mm-hmm. is currently unfillable. The people who are being offered the job are turning it down because it's a cut in pay and because they're only going to last for two years and because they're going to inherit massive problems. And I said, I'll take the job. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Please. You need somebody me. to r- recommend you. I'll do it. <laughs> okay, you guys. I think we're a little Richard, bit- thank you so much for the time. Um, I thank appreciate uh, the opportunity to um, reach out to your audience and um, share some information that, you know, they're not going to find elsewhere. So thank you so it's much. It's always Ryan. a pleasure. Thank you. We're, we're going to encourage people to share it 10 times as much as they did before. Try to get some traction. Okay. We'll talk to you guys soon. Okay, you guys, there goes Dr. Rima Lebo and James Rogoski. And I recommend following both of them. And we've got all kinds of websites and links for you to remember that we're in the show, and I made a couple of quick notes. Um, PreventGenocide2030.org is probably the most important. That's where the action items are, you know, that they talked about, <clears throat> where you can actually, in a very short time, just edit an email that's already written for you, and it goes to all these people that are involved in the process of deciding what to do and your representatives and things like that. Then there's also another one, uh, StopTheWho.com, where James, during our discussion, had said that there's a lot of important information about what the WHO is actually doing and proposing. And Doug has let me know, too, that there are links to documents below the video that you can have for free, and they're really important ones. Um, one of them in particular is about exiting uh, how to get your country out of the WHO and the UN, which is critical. You know, those are both major criminal organizations, just like so many others now, so many 
multinational organizations are just basic variations of mafias, you know, and I don't need to really limit it to comparing it to a standard mafia because it's probably much worse. But all of these international organizations that want to supersede a country's own laws and sovereignty, uh, one of the things that we talked about during this conversation was the inalienable rights concept that the founders of the United States federal government brought up in their <clears throat> our reluctance uh, to form the national government because it could be taken over by people with bad intent like has happened. And I mean, that it's gone so much beyond what I think the U.S. founders imagined might happen at this point. Even the two political parties, which the wiser individuals among the founders realized that parties were a terrible idea. I mean, really, why why would you want political parties? If you're running for office and you can think up your own positions based on what you really believe is important, why do you need a party to tell you what to do? And as soon as you get a party that's powerful, it can tell you what your positions are and you either agree and get the money or disagree and lose all the support of the party organization. So parties, I, I think at this point that all the parties are entirely counterproductive and they just serve to get blocks of people fighting each other over things they've memorized that contradict each other. Complete, you know, waste of energy. If you just had individuals that had to run on what they actually felt was true, then you can tell who they were. Otherwise, it's just who's writing their speeches and what party is influencing them. And this, this was uh, what the founders realized could happen. And that there's no system of government organizations, NGOs, international organizations like the WHO and the UN, no system, no matter how well designed, that is going to have a good outcome <clears throat> unless you have people that are conscious and have actual ethical behavior based on what they believe is, is true and they feel is right, no matter whether they get agreement or not. I think there's going to be a lot of problem until we get back to that point. So I still have the feeling very clearly that ultimately the solution is going to lie in the realm of consciousness, not in any specifics without that, because they'll be limited in what they can do. But for now, it's really important what happens on the physical and political levels. Um, and I think the reason that we gave these three show opportunities to Dr. Rima and James was because these action items that are listed in uh, prevent, Genoc prevent genocide2030.org, make sure I get that right, are critical to do right now. You know, we obviously don't have people of integrity and positions of power, as, as you've seen. <clears throat> but we have the people who are there, and what Dr. Rima has proven in 2009 and other cases besides the swine flu, that even with these criminal people in power, and sorry for the phone noise there, <clears throat> even with these uh, criminals in almost every power position around the world, they, for some reason, get scared of millions of emails. And I wouldn't have guessed that that were true because they're just emails, but apparently they they have some 
basic fear of the people of the population and if it if the number of emails indicates that it's a big enough number to give them resistance or throw them out of power then they want to make believe that they're reasonable for a while which buys us time to get toward the society where there is morality governing uh, the, the rulers we don't have that yet but this action item is a stopgap to buy time and there needs to be you know, similar actions taken against other things that are immediate threats. James mentioned uh, the move toward forcing us on the CBDCs. That's a huge threat to your life. And they're using the apparently engineered current banking collapse with SVB and the other institutions that are failing by contagion and by engineered collapse. Um, they want to use that to force everybody into the solution that they offer, which is to go on the central bank digital currency, uh, CBDCs for short. And the reason they're so bad is that those c- currencies will be completely digital, completely in the hands of the uh, ruling organizations, the central banks, which are huge criminal organizations that do nothing useful for society at all, as far as I can tell and have caused a lot of trouble and continue to do that. They siphon off the wealth through the uh, banks under them from the people who earn it and produce it and give it to the, as Rima rightly says, the fake elite that are not elite at all. They're the elite criminals, if anything. So uh, one way to stop that is to get your locality or your state, depending on what kind of a country you're in, to pass uh, laws or some kind of regulation against adopting CBDCs. And what I heard this morning was that Oklahoma is actually doing that in the U.S., which is great. There is too bad no one state or locality can set the example in all these things. They they each seem to get one part of it, but that's okay. Oklahoma is setting a great example in passing a law against CBDC. So get your state to do the same thing if you're in America. And depending on what other country you may live in, something similar there needs to be done too because CBDCs threaten your your ability to buy food, to drive your car, to buy fuel, to do anything because they can just switch off uh, your money. No matter what money you've got, they just flip a switch or press a button and it's inaccessible. And they can control what you can and cannot spend it on. Nothing if they want. So we're under a barrage attack from so many different uh, sources at one time, but they're all coordinated under one authority. And the attack from the WHO is is possibly the most urgent, although CBDCs are pretty close. And this action item that Rima's provided is uh, about the easiest way that you can have a hand in getting it stopped. So I really encourage everybody to support that. I guess the last thing that I wanted to say about uh, <clears throat> what James brought up on government and what they both talked about with unalienable rights is that whatever crazy um, law may be on the books that treaties can override national laws and national sovereignty and inalienable rights is void on the face of it because it contradicts God-given rights that belong to everybody 
not just in America, but all over the planet. So we've got work to do. And this is just one of the things that's urgent. Behind all of it is consciousness. And I was asked this morning in an email from a listener in um, Australia, you know, things look so bad and it's basically hell on earth for so many people right now. Is it really as hopeless as it looks? And I'm saying, I don't think so. I mean, we need to be doing everything we can on so many levels right now. On the physical level, good people need to run for their positions and offices in every country that are available. But also the the ethics and the morality behind, <clears throat> excuse me, your interaction with every other human in your life, whether you consider them good or bad, to see underneath the mind programming and relate to the actual being that's there encouraging them to wake up that's really important and what we're doing in planetary healing club which is accessible through planetaryhealingclub.com is um, working specifically on how to unlock a whole other level that people can interact on which has to do with the hardly understood concept of consciousness now and putting that into real form and just like rima's email system has been proven uh, when she used it to stop the swine flu-forced vaccines in 2009, the consciousness-changing uh, power that comes from getting rid of negative mind programs and then using that in actual real-life physical situations for healing and for harmony between people, that's been proven, but only on a small scale. So the question of can your inner focus and your prayer and meditation and the emotional state that you choose to live in, that you carry with you in your mind, in your interactions with everybody, can that affect physical change even on people that are malevolent? That's been proven. The answer is yes. We talked about that with Dr. Cousins quite a bit, and he brings it up. He's about to start a program of World Meditation for Peace. Because in addition to the physical actions, what you learn about and do with your own consciousness has potentially huge power for healing on a personal and global scale. So if you're interested in joining us to work directly on that, which is working inside yourself and becoming aware of the thoughts and emotions you're carrying around and broadcasting to everybody, then check out planetaryhealingclub.com. Or, or write info at lawstartsradio.com if you want to ask a question about it. Otherwise, um, we're going to keep doing videos and shows that just put out there as much of the important free information as we possibly can, and I appreciate your even being interested in that. And I know it's an inconvenience to do things like take the action items at preventgenocide2030.org, but it's it's really a lot better than having this devolve into a physical revolution, which, as Rima said, uh, generally has a lot of problems with where it goes. This will determine the next step of the fate of the world. And what I really want to reiterate is that you're critically important in that you're not one helpless person among 8 billion. You're an amazing being because of where you came from and what made you. And you can live in harmony with that and have more influence on the world than millions of people who are scattered and full of fear. Fear is totally useless in my experience. 
and it's also voluntary. So there's a lot you can do. Become aware of it, work on yourself, and you'll indirectly affect everybody else. So anyway, thanks for being here. Uh, stay in touch with us and follow the re- work of Dr. Rima and James on James's Substack, Substack and DrRimaTruthReports.com. Uh, and we'll give you updates as we get them too. So take care of yourself. Have a good rest of the night. And we'll see you here next time. It's a beautiful